I have a confession to make. Um, I, I try on every occasion to prepare a sermon specifically for the occasion, uh, the congregation, the fellowship, the conference that we might be addressing. But uh, last week was a pretty busy week. We had uh, regional meetings here, con- de- denominational meetings here, and it was meeting from Tuesday all the way through Friday. And uh, I was up against it. That's all there was to it. So I did something which I normally don't do, and that was to go to the barrel. <laughs> Every pastor has a barrel. And, and I was really digging deep in this barrel, I'll have to tell you. And finally, I, I, li- I chose a sermon I'd like to share with you this morning, and then this, this, this fear came over me. I, I was wondering if I had preached this sermon here before. <laughs> so what I did, I asked Jan, I said, Jan, do you remember me preaching this sermon uh, before? She said, I don't think so. I said, well, let me just share with you how it opens and see if it rings a bell. Well, I began preaching to her for a while, and she said, no, I don't think I've heard that one before. And I was really crushed, really crushed, because I preached this at Bixby Memorial Church six years ago, and she doesn't remember it. <laughs> so. But I, I'm going to approach it this way. I was really thinking seriously, seriously about this. This is, call it leftovers, okay? But I remember occasion when Jesus took some leftovers, and he fed 5,000 people. So what I'm asking the Lord to do this morning is take these leftovers and feed this assembly of people. I'm not asking for 5,000 to hear it, just if you'd give ear to it this morning. And asking the Lord for him to have his way with his word. Would you pray with me, please? We feel so inadequate, dear Father, to be called whether it's to stand behind the pulpit or to be visible in the workplace or to assume a position in a classroom or at home among the family. It's an awesome responsibility to be asked to represent your son, Jesus Christ. But we know, Lord, we don't do it in our own power. For you to be seen, Father, You must intercede. You have to be present here right now through the Holy Spirit. And so I would pray, Lord, that yes, we would have ears to hear. And yes, that we would even have eyes to see. But eyes that allow us to see not only what you have through your word for us this day, but eyes to see how you have set before us opportunities to apply that word to our lives and to share it with others. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to share with you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning with verse 35, and actually reading into chapter 19, ending with verse 9. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, you're going to discover that This section from the Gospel of Luke actually contains two very familiar Bible stories that you probably have heard many, many times. And there was that time when I would take each story as itself and 
each story containing a special meaning. And it was also at a time when I was preparing this message that I recognized that these two stories really contain something that weds them together. They work together. Let me just read with you if you want to follow. And I would like to ask you, as our pastor gives us the opportunity, to stand in reverence of hearing God's word. Would you stand with me? Beginning with Luke 8, verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will be back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Two men. One was blind, the other couldn't see. One was sitting by the roadside, the other was sitting in a tree beside the road. One would take whatever he could get. The other would take whatever he wanted. Both were social outcasts. The first man was at the mercy of others. Others were at the mercy of the second man. One man was confined to a life because of poverty. The other man was condemned to a life because of corruption. But as different as their worlds were, they both shared the same desire. They both wanted to see Jesus. 
You look at Luke 18, 41, and Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And the beggar replies, Lord, I want to see. And you look at Luke 19, 3, and we read, He, meaning Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. (coughs) Blindness. It comes in so many ways, shapes, and forms. Over 100 million Americans are visually disabled without the help of corrective lenses, glasses, contacts. 1,100,000 people in our nation are legally blind. As startling as these statistics may sound to us, I am convinced there are many, many more blind people in our nation today. Let me explain. First off, this, this issue of blindness isn't something new. It's been with us for a long time. And as even when Moses was trusted with receiving the laws, the commands of God, early on, that condition was addressed by the very laws that Moses received. We read in Leviticus 9.19.14, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God, I am the Lord. In Deuteronomy 27, 18 we read, Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. This morning I want us to look at this passage from Luke and notice how many different blind people are represented in these two accounts. People suffering with various forms of impaired vision. The obvious one who suffered was the blind beggar. This blind beggar is probably the same one that Mark identifies in his gospel as being Bartimaeus. He was clearly identified as a blind man. And then we understand that Zacchaeus also had trouble seeing because he was vertically challenged. Being short, he was not able to see over or through the crowds, denying him any vantage point to see Jesus. Now, how about the crowds? The crowd that accompanied Jesus as he was approaching Jericho didn't see the need to halt their pilgrimage. The crying out of the beggar was a distraction, and he was rebuked by the followers of Christ. They saw him as a nuisance, a hindrance to accomplishing their purpose or the desire to reach their destination. Isn't it amazing that the one who could not see with his eyes could recognize Jesus for who he really was? crowd recognized him as Jesus from Nazareth. The blind man recognized him as Jesus, son of David, Messiah. The religious among the crowds didn't have a clue, couldn't see what Jesus, who he was or what he was all about. They couldn't see as good as the blind beggar could see. Now the crowd surrounding Jesus as he passed under the sycamore tree inside the city or the village of Jericho, they too had 
similar problems of seeing. They did not see Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. As a matter of fact, they could not see Zacchaeus as anything other than a detestable, despicable little man. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he looked upon it as an opportunity to give the tax collector a close-up view of who he really is. All the people could see was the poor company that Jesus would select that day to spend a meal with. We read in Luke 19, 7, all the people saw this as all the all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And they did not see Jesus as the one who had come to seek the lost and save them. I'd like to suggest as these passages of scripture kind of been set before us this morning to consider some questions that we might pull out of the circumstances that the blind beggar, Zacchaeus, and the crowds themselves were dealing with. I'd ask the question first, <laughs> to what extreme would we go to see Jesus? The blind beggar endured the rebuke of the crowd. Would we endure the rebuke and ridicule of the crowd that is around us? Would we be restrained by them making fun of us? Would we be hesitant to call on the name of the Lord because of the crowds of which we are a part? What about Zacchaeus? He went to the extreme of climbing a tree. Would you go out on a limb for Jesus? How far would you go? Are we able to see how blind we are to what Jesus is all about and what he wants to show us and what he wants us to be? I'm convinced in at least our culture today, in the Western culture, too many people are easily discouraged by the crowd or even lost in the crowd and choose to make little or no effort at all to even look for or at Jesus. The same difficulties with sight we have read about in these two accounts plague us today as well. You know, I think we can quickly identify the groups of people who are held captives by being spiritually blind. Those people who are literally sitting along the side of life, trying to seek someone or something that would, re that would release them, free them from the darkness that they experience day after day. The person who is crying out for deliverance from something that oppresses them or even possesses them. The one who is dealing with shadows of conflict and turmoil in life. A person who is confused or dealing with sorrow or burdensome trials or, or difficulties in whatever shape or form they come. Do we see them? Their desire is to see past the confines of darkness and truly they are expressing loudly that they just want to see. Or 
Are we so caught up in the crowds that are even following Jesus that we, we ignore the cries of the one who simply wants to see what Jesus is all about? Here's a thought. I'm convinced that if we really do want to see Jesus in the ways that we have never, ever seen him before, to ask him to reveal his truths so that they're made evident and something that we can cling to, then all we have to do is to respond to the cries of those around us. We, too, are exposed to a deeper understanding of the very nature and truths of Christ if we would just give thought and, and attention to those who want to see him. Our blindness has an ugly side to it at times. Notice the people, the crowds that were following Jesus that hindered the blind beggar and even Zacchaeus from seeing him. The crowds surrounding Jesus, preventing people from seeing Jesus. I wonder how often the church stands in the way of people who are wanting to see Jesus. People who are peering in from the outside, looking in, trying to figure out, who is this Jesus? What is he all about? Are we ready to make room in our circles of fellowship to allow people to enter our groups to really discover who Christ is, or at least the one we say we know is Christ? Are we ready to receive the one who maybe isn't even the one that we would choose to be our friend? They may be only curious onlookers, but the fact is, they're looking. And we have to give attention to that. But our blindness to Jesus' purpose, and dismissing the responsibility of getting other, giving others the opportunity see, to see, is a pronouncement and is incriminating <coughs> in the fact that we might stand in the way. It's interesting, there's an occasion where disciples are walking along the road with Jesus one day, and John is troubled. His, his beloved disciple is coming unglued. And he runs up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, teacher, we saw a man driving out demons today in your name and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. When we look at others and see them as the lesser, I believe we show serious symptoms of a very serious sight problem. I want to ask another question. Aren't you glad that Jesus stopped in response to your cries for help. Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus stopped and called you by name? Aren't you glad that he took the initiative to allow you to welcome him in to your life and to restore your sight? There's a big problem that we have today. I think maybe we have been banging around in the darkness so long we have forgotten how blind we were. I may have shared this story before, but I want to share it again because I think it truly illustrates the difficulty that sometimes the church today has in recognizing seeing the needs around them. It's the story of a young lady living in Washington State, and these are her words. 
Some time ago, an 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service for the first time in her life. At that occasion, she also heard the gospel for the first time. And that following Tuesday, the members of that church received a letter from her. It read as follows. Dear church members, last Sunday I attended your church and I heard the preacher. In the sermon, the preacher said that all men have sinned and rebelled against God, and because of the rebellion and disobedience, they will face eternal damnation and be separated from God forever. But then he also said God loved men and sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem men from their sins. And all those who believe in him would have eternal life and to be able to live with God forever. My parents recently died in rapid succession. I know that they did not believe in Jesus Christ, whom you call the Savior of the world. If what you believe is true, then my parents are damned. You compel me to believe that either the message is true, that you yourself don't believe this message, or that you don't even care. You see, we live only three blocks from your church, and no one ever told us. There are people who are living within a stone's throw of where we live as believers. We've got to be looking for them. We've got to see them. We've got to get out of the way so they can see Jesus. The very reason Jesus himself came to this earth, he proclaims, as he stands before an assembled group for worship. And he takes from the, the altar the scroll that's handed to him and reads this portion from Isaiah. These are Christ's words being prophetically not only spoken, but lived out. Jesus read from Isaiah saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight of the blind. If we are the church, if we are the body of Christ, the very thing that Christ was sent in this world to do in terms of freeing those who are captive to sin, in restoring sight to the blind, to coming, coming alongside those who are oppressed. If that was Christ's calling, that is our calling as well. I believe we really have to give more attention to what's out there and to recognize that there's people who might be giving attention to us and wondering what's in here. And if Christ is truly among us, then may we have the very eyes of Christ. May we have the very heart of Christ. And call them. Call them to come and see who Christ is. I believe we become too familiar with our surroundings. So familiar that we can get around pretty good even in the dark. <laughs> but our stumbling in the dark going along the familiar ways can be very dangerous. Because Jesus said this also, if a blind man leads a blind man, they both will fall into a pit. 
If we don't have our eyes on Jesus, then how in the world can we help others see him? Now, I want to end this on a positive note. <laughs> because that's how these stories ended, on a positive note. I ask this question, how do you know if someone has seen Jesus? Note the responses of each man as they were able to see Jesus. There was rejoicing. There was worship. There was a decision to follow Christ. There was obedience. There was repentance. There was reconciliation. I'm telling you, the people, and you read through the whole New Testament, the people who see Jesus, their lives are changed forever. A change of scene in who they are and what they're all about. Now, this is, this is the clincher. I know and you know that in this world, there are people who will never have any desire, inclination, or thought of looking for Jesus. There are people who have been given the opportunity to meet him face to face and don't want to look, don't want to see him. And they are living in darkness. But the truth is very simple. There's coming a day, there is coming a day where everyone, whether they want to or not, are going to see Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 30, at the time the Son, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the, all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Everyone will see him coming. He also said in Matthew 26, 64, I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming out of the clouds of heaven. And the greatest proclamation that maybe resonates with us who are waiting for that soon return of Jesus Christ comes from the pen of the Apostle John as he too was waiting when he says this in Revelation 1-7. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall, so shall it be. Amen. Amen. A day is coming when we all will see Jesus. Amen.